Hello, welcome back to the BrainTap Business Journal podcast, where we bring you tips and tricks of how to improve yourself and your practice. And today, we have one of our reoccurring guests, someone who is an expert in the field of photobiomodulation. He lectures around the world. He's a researcher. He's our go-to guy for lasers. He's, we actually have done a lot of work over the years. I love bringing him out to the BrainTap events to teach you as our practitioners how to use lasers, get the best out of it. He combines BrainTap with what he's doing, and he does it outside of BrainTap. So one thing nice about light is there's a lot of different ways to use it. So there's a lot of confusion out there to bring clarity to the field of photobiomodulation and to share with you how to use it on the brain. Please welcome Dr. Brandon Crawford to the podcast. Hello, Dr. Brandon. Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, that was that was a lot. Very kind of you. I appreciate that. So, But you're right. Uh, there are so many different ways uh, to use laser and light therapy. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's actually bad light out there. Or, or maybe if we get exposure to too much of it, it can be bad light, right? And so... That's something that uh, I'm really helping people navigate right, uh, right now is how to understand um, how to mitigate that light exposure, right? So there's certain frequencies of light that uh, may be damaging to the brain or uh, specifically the retina. You know, some of these studies uh, that just came out, one in particular actually showed that uh, high frequency blue light actually caused damage to the retina. Um, well, that actually uh, is neural tissue. So it's an extension of the brain. And so just really understanding uh, what that does to our health, right? I mean, we're looking at screens all day. Um, we're not getting outside enough. We're under fluorescent lights all the time. I mean, that's why I try to keep my my room dark. That's why I'm sitting here with some, some nice red light in the background because uh, red light can actually start to heal and mitigate uh, a lot of that stuff. So you're right. There's so many different ways to use laser and light therapy. And I love what you've done with the brain tab because you're combining two extremely important components uh, of our world and that's light and sound. And what you're doing is you're generating specific brain waves that can actually change body function, right? I mean, it, it's amazing whenever we start using the brain tap, um, you start seeing uh, gut health improve, you start seeing, you know, liver function improve. And, and it's just amazing, you know, to know that your mental state how you can hack that right with light and sound and actually really start to change the body's health. So yeah, thanks for everything you're doing and thanks for having me on. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast where you're not seeing the video, head over to my YouTube channel, DR Patrick Porter, and you will see, and also it'll be over on the brain tap tech channel where we're going to cut in because you have such amazing things you put on social media. I mean, I'm always blown away. If I'm, if I'm at the airport waiting for a flight, I always tune into your social media because it, you, you're pretty prolific on there showing what you're doing. And I'm always amazed to see how you're using lasers with brain tap and things of that nature. So if you're not looking at the video and you want to, and it kind of tweaks and you go, wow, I'd like to see that, or even see, you know, Dr. Crawford's what he's doing with his office. When I first saw it, I said, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, what can I do to my background to make it look that cool? You know, so <laughs> you might want to tune into the YouTube channel, go over and see it. And then we'll have some links there to get you over to uh, Dr. Crawford's as well. So tell us a little bit about, I mean, you're always on the cutting edge. You're always doing things that uh, in clinic. So what's, what's cool is you do research, but you're doing it in clinic with real people. And you're willing to share that with the world where a lot of doctors keep all that wisdom inside their practice. And nobody knows exactly, you know, how they're getting results, but, you know, tell us a little bit about what you think is like cutting edge, where, where you're heading with lasers here and things of that nature. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're right. You know, I think that uh, we each need to understand our strengths and weaknesses um, as clinicians or researchers or, you know, whatever you are. And my strength is a clinician. I, I'm very solid in that realm. I, I love doing exams. I love diagnosis. I love developing treatment outlines. I, I love getting people better. That's really what I like to do. And <clears throat> one thing that we're not uh, shy about is thinking outside the box. And if something is safe uh, and effective, which of course, that's always a sniff test. You know, we, we do the, the background research and all the things that we need to do to, to ensure that whatever we do is not going to harm anyone. Um, then we start using these things in practice. And that's where innovation comes in, because what we have to do is we have to understand, number one, what is the issue? What is the, the clinical presentation and what are the neurophysiological uh, parameters that may have gotten us, uh, this patient in this current state? Uh, from there, then we can start to game plan. Okay, well, is it the electron transport chain in the mitochondria? Is it a growth hormone issue? Is it a, a brain wave? Is the brain wave dysfunctional because of under-integrated networks or damaged networks or what's going on here? And then <clears throat> from that, we get to start trialing things, right? We, um, we, we start trying to push electrons through the electron transport chain uh, via, you know, what now, right now, my favorite thing is actually the biocharger. I love the biocharger. Uh, that's one of our uh, modalities that we've added um, maybe six months ago that we're seeing dramatic uh, changes in people. We've been using BrainTap for years. I mean, I've, I've been practicing for, gosh, 13, 14 years, something like that. And I, I really don't remember not using the BrainTap. I, I don't know if it's been on the market that long, but I really, I don't, I don't remember not using it. Um, so as these things are coming out, it's really just a matter of finding solutions uh, for people. And one of the most recent things that we've actually um, begun to use is actually something called laser activated uh, PRP. And this is a, a proprietary thing where uh, I'm doing it with the medical oversight of uh, Dr. Marcella Madeira, who is, uh, she's a neurosurgeon, uh, well-known in the regenerative medicine field, but she's actually my medical director here in Austin. Um, and it was interesting because it was a long history. Really what ultimately got me into chiropractic was um, a disc injury in high school and a failed back surgery. And I'm not going to give you that whole backstory, but that's eventually what got me into chiropractic. And um, because of that failed back surgery, here I was at, you know, 30, I guess I was 36 or 37 years old. Um, and these discs just basically exploded in my spine. It was bad. I had three of them, huge wad of scar tissue. Um, and I went in to see Dr. Madeira. She said, I can't get you in the OR for weeks. And I said, okay, what are we going to do? Um, and we ended up doing this laser activated PRP. Um, and it was amazing because how it works is um, we actually draw the blood from the patient. So it's the patient's own, own cells. And then we uh, spin that down into PRP. And within PRP or platelet-rich plasma, um, there's various types of cells. Um, but really what we focus on are the growth factors. Uh, so there's growth factors. But then there's also a certain type of stem cell called a very small human embryonic-like stem cell. Um, now, these V cells are interesting because they're typically not active. Um, and so what we do is there's actually a specific laser. So not the lasers that you see me using on Instagram and all these things, but a specific type of laser that was developed for this procedure. And what happens is when you alter the beam physics of the laser, right? So it's not just about power. It's not just about the pulsing of the light. It's not, there's actually some really specific beam physics. Like we can actually change 
the shape of the beam, how it moves, all of these things. And this is really what I'm looking at right now uh, with a project coming up um, in Q1, Q2 of next year, um, which is a, a separate thing uh, that maybe we can touch on later. But um, by doing that, whenever we shine the specific laser into the, uh, the solution, actually activates those growth factors, activates those stem cells. Um, I also like to talk about the peptides involved because there's um, a high concentration of thymosin beta-4. So TB4 is a certain type of peptide um, that's really ubiquitously found in our cells, um, but it's highly concentrated in platelets. And so we get a good amount of this in this PRP solution. Um, we then readminister that to the individual. Uh, and as we do that, we use that same laser over the area of the brain or the body that we want those cells to focus on. And what it does is it alters the surface proteins uh, in that tissue so that as those cells are going through, it almost like it makes a sticky spot. So those cells stick and adhere in that region more effectively. So that's been one of the most innovative things that you know we've been working with um, here recently. And it's been amazing because we've done it with genetic disorders. We've done this with pain syndromes. We've done this with traumatic brain injuries, anoxic brain injuries, dystonia, movement disorders. Um, and we're seeing very consistent filings. We, we've even done it with autism. Um, we've had a very successful case uh, with doing this with autism that they're still seeing progress and it was at the beginning of the year. Um, so very, very promising. Um, and what we like to do is we, of course, like to combine that with trying to develop positive neuroplasticity. And so then, you know, we're, we're looking at their neurological imbalances because after this procedure, we have this heightened state of neuroplasticity as these stem cells and as these growth factors are there, they're taking place and they're starting to change things, but we can actually have a huge influence on the individual's development from there. Right. So that's, you know, of course, one of the most amazing things that, that I've come across so far that we've been bringing, uh, clinically, uh, very, very effective and very exciting. Yeah, I know. I see you at a lot of events. You're, you're educating doctors all over, but you and I were just at uh, just a few months ago, I guess, at the biohacking convention and they had you on stage because now people are finding out that light is one of the most underprescribed nutrients. And so they're finding out, hey, what's going on with this laser? And so you're on stage talking about it. What did you find with the biohacking group? Because now not just doctors are getting into lasers, right? Everyday people are finding out, hey, this light can be used in a safe and effective way. Of course, there's the high-powered lasers you have to have a, a credential to have, but there are other lasers, right? So there's a difference in laser technology. So maybe kind of go through the spectrum and what would a biohacker use? Because we have a big following in the biohacking world that, that might want to learn from you. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, I love the biohacking crowd. Um, it, it's definitely been my favorite conference to be a part of uh, thus far in my career. Um, I felt home, you know, um, and the cool thing was, you know, I've been a biohacker my entire life and I really didn't even realize it until the past few years. Um, so I love it. I love that the crowd is really taking their health into their own hands. I think that's very important for society right now. Um, I do think that traditional medicine, uh, is failing us in, in many different ways. So I think that as technology and innovation continues to evolve and it becomes safer and safer and more accessible, then you know, this biohacking crowd is just going to continue to grow, right? Um, and so you have these people that are just diehard biohackers, you know, people like, um, you know, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, um, you know, people like that. And what people don't realize is that, you know, yes, you can do it like that, but you can also take biohacking in a, you know, a different regard, right? You can do it just to improve, um, you know, gut health, or you can just do it to improve 
brain health. I actually um, work with um, one of the top business consultants in the world. Um, and he asked me, he said, Brandon, I do several meetings a day. Um, these people are paying me millions of dollars. And if I don't perform, they're going to be pissed. What can I do? Right. And so he, he got one of our lasers. I just showed him a simple little protocol where uh, we actually laser through the carotid artery on both sides. Uh, and we do that on our vagus nerve setting. And by doing that, what we're actually doing is we're increasing blood flow, oxygen, all these really good uh, benefits of using the laser. What's happening is it's actually going up into the brain. So from the carotid artery, those benefits are going up <clears throat> into uh, basically the entire brain. Now, then what I'm having him do is switch into our brainwave settings and using our gamma brainwaves. And I'm having it, him use it over his prefrontal cortex. So just sweeping it uh, across his forehead before he goes into the meeting. Um, and we do that because there's studies that show uh, gamma brainwaves, uh, specifically 40 hertz, improves cognition. Uh, there's some studies that actually shows uh, it reduces placking and things like Alzheimer's dementia and stuff like that. And so uh, by doing that little protocol, he called me back and he was like, I don't know what you did, but this is amazing. I'll never go into a meeting without it. So um, that's a cool thing is, you know, you can take your health into your own hands. It can be this full blown, you know, every minute of the day is scheduled out and you have to do this X, Y, and Z, or it can be something as simple as what I just described, right? So it just kind of depends on your needs uh, and what you have accessible to you. That's great. Now, if you're, if you're finding this interesting, you want to learn more, you can always go to Instagram. It's forward slash neuro underscore solutions. And you'll see what uh, Dr. Brandon's doing. He, he's very, like I said, he shares some cutting edge stuff. It's always cool to see. One of the things that I saw in there was you talk about the science behind laser therapy, because people think it's magic, but there's actually some real science there. So maybe you can just kind of explain let's say laser 101, not uh, laser 4.1. You know, these are not the four credit classes. Let's, what can you explain? What is happening? Like when you use the, cause we do a lot with gamma now too, with David Rosenthal, we did a study with uh, psilocybin and we found that these plant-based medicines are triggering this gamma response. And so we do, we developed some with brain taps. So we know that, but what's going on with light? Why is light so important to the brain? Light's extremely important. Um, it's going to be hard for me to back up to 101. Uh, I haven't taught laser 101 uh, probably in a few years. So because, of course, where I, my mind initially started to go was proton tunneling and the electron transport chain and exclusion zone water and all of these things uh, and deuterium, that's a big conversation. But, um, you know, laser 101, light therapy 101 is this. You have uh, multiple systems within the body, right? Um, you have the eyes, you have the skin primarily, and these areas are highly receptive to light. Uh, of course, you have retinal tissue. So retinas are the most sensitive to light. And what people don't understand is that there's a convergence or a confluence of um, light in the brain, right? So you get this visual effect and then you get what your skin is perceiving, uh, which is extremely um, interesting to me. Uh, and I'm going to describe a, a, a little experiment I did with myself. Um, and what happens is, is if there's a disconnect between the light coming into the eye and the light hitting your skin, that can actually alter your brain state. Um, and so the initial reason why I started to look at this is because um, I don't remember where I heard it, if it was a lecture or a podcast or what it was, but someone said, if you go outside uh, without sunglasses, you're less likely to be sunburned because your brain knows to produce more melanin to protect you. And I thought, man, that's a load of crap. 
Um, and so we actually tested it. My wife and I did, and I'll, it seriously worked. It was amazing. Um, I could stay out much longer without a sunburn. Again, that's just anecdotal, but uh, it was very interesting. But we had something there, just so you know. When we were in India, we found out in the Rishis, have, this is written about in the ancient text, that there's more infrared light hitting the planet two hours, you know, like two hours before sunrise and two hours after. And what they did is it, the, the reason they don't get burnt, they were they were saying in the Vedas, they called it chronos therapy. They'd go outside and fill the they'd fill the cells with the light receptors, then they wouldn't get burnt. So similar go. to what you're saying, it's very similar. And they uh, they're doing a lot of studies with that right now at Ames, Ames Bhopal in India. So yeah, what you're saying, we're gonna validate that because I wanted to I wanted to validate that for myself and I got a university to kind of back it. So it's gonna be wow. cool to see what happens. That's very cool, you know, um, and, you know, a little tangent. I mean, part of uh, regulating circadian biology uh, that I tell my patients and um, anyone to do is actually to be outside as the sun is rising and then to be outside as the sun is setting. Um, and so that kind of jives with that, too. Um, that's that's very interesting, though. That That's cool. Um, but, you know, if we were to go into like a very simplistic like laser 101 or light 101 type of approach, what I would say is um, we have these solar panels all over our body. They're inside of us, they're outside of us. Uh, they're called chromophores. And these chromophores are receptors for light. And just like a solar panel receives light energy from the sun and, and transmits it into energy or electricity, um, your cells do that too. These chromophores act like solar panels. And so as you're being exposed to light, uh, just know that you're either filling your batteries up uh, or you're depleting them, uh, depends on what type of light you're under and the duration that you're under it. Um, so that's really light therapy 101, you know, and if you're trying to heal someone or if you need to be healed, you need your batteries full, right? I mean, if you don't have cellular energy, uh, you're going to fall flat. You're only going to go so far. You're going to plateau. So that's really the, the 101 story, you know? Mm -hmm. No, that's great. So when, when we talk about healing and you're really big, I know you're a chiropractor. I did forgot to mention that at the beginning. So people wonder what kind of doctor you are. You're a doctor of chiropractic, but you focus almost exclusively, it seems on neurological functions in the brain. And, uh, you know, you, you write extensively or teach extensively about how the brain holds the power to define recovery. Can you kind of explain that to me? Because that was something interesting I saw on your social media channel, too. Absolutely. Um, you're right. My play box is strictly neurology. Um, however, I, I love chiropractic. And I, I believe that chiropractic and neurology cannot really be separated from the way that I view it. Um, when I approach anything, we have to understand that there's a fuel component and there's an activation component, and that's just basic functional neurology, right? Uh, fuel and activation. And from a chiropractic standpoint, when you adjust someone, right, when you move a joint, you're firing physical receptors. Uh, those physical receptors we can talk about are muscle spindles, Golgi tendon organs, <clears throat> and those fire into the spinal cord and into the brain. Um, so when, when you adjust someone, you're actually altering the brain, uh, you're altering their neuroplasticity, et cetera. Right. And there's cool studies, uh, actually Ted Carrick did them looking at, uh, changes in visual fields, um, after being adjusted. So we know that we can alter the brain by doing that. Now, um, I, I consider the chiropractic adjustment as part of, right. A, a very, very, very long list of, uh, modalities and things that we do. 
uh, on a daily basis to help change brains. Um, so when we look at the brain, what we're trying to uncover is um, where is this patient in this developmental story, right? And, and what I mean by that is we're all born and we go through this period of development and people think that when, you know, at a certain period of time, like puberty or something like that, we're done developing. And that's really just not true. Our, our brain is continuing to develop until we die, essentially. Um, but we have these very clearly defined stages of development. Um, and what's very interesting is that we know that the brain has these mechanisms to develop itself. But what we haven't really thought through, uh, for the most part, is if something happens to our brain, like we get a brain injury or we have you know, severe emotional traumas that caused um, some, some brain inflammation and that caused degradation in networks. Well, what does the brain do? Does the brain just go, oh crap, I'm screwed? No. The brain says, hey, you know what? I have these mechanisms that developed me up until this point. They just got damaged or they went in the opposite direction. So let's, let's tie into those mechanisms and let's actually try and redevelop these networks, right? And so that's this, this concept of developmental functional neurology is that Everyone wants their, again, whether it's uh, emotional stress, whether it's, you know, the stress of whatever, you get hit in the head, you get uh, post-COVID syndrome, right? Uh, anything like this, right? This, this all applies. Uh, so when I'm looking at someone, I'm trying to determine where are they in this developmental trajectory? Um, are they in the, you know, sensory system phase, primitive reflexes, postural reflexes, core stability, vestibular system, eye movements, cognitive and, and that's just a very broad overview, like the big buckets that we're looking at, um, you know, where are they? And then from there, it's really looking at the very specific networks, um, which networks are imbalanced, which are dominant. Do we need to calm these? Do we need to fire those? And then when we think to a case like that, we get a very well-defined treatment strategy that the best thing is it's very targeted and specific. But the cool thing is, is that once we know what to do and we do it over and over and over again because what we're trying to do is develop neuroplasticity and for neuroplasticity we need frequency intensity and duration of stimulus once we get that neuroplastic change we see massive changes in the person they improve their function they develop they start walking talking they're out of pain all of these things right and so that's ultimately what we can do and one thing to always understand is that like i said earlier the brain never stops changing um, there was an interesting study that showed <clears throat> um, people in hospice care, right? So, you know, very sick people, elderly, um, you know, these people of anyone on the planet, they should not have neuroplasticity. Um, what they did is they, they measured uh, changes in the brain. And, and I don't remember exactly how they did it. Okay. But, but they did. Uh, and they actually proved that even this actively dying elderly population under hospice care still had neuroplastic capacity. Their brain was still changing. Um, and that should really resonate with everyone because no matter how old you are, no matter your disease state, there's always the possibility to change your brain and to improve your health. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen with, uh, we did a study with people over a hundred and with the brain tap and we used the Wabi and hmm. we showed a 15% neurological improvement with them. The younger population, which is 55, 65 in our dementia study, 39% neuroplasticity. And so yeah. they're, 
uh, seems like the younger you are, it must be those stem cells or something. But <laughs> now that you're talking about that, I, I know that on social media, you do share some of your clients, allow you to share their stories. Maybe you can tell a few uh, client testimonials or stories of a therapy that you did with people because they're, they're kind of incredible. They're, they're almost like, I would say most doctors throw their hands up and send them off to a specialist or, you know, and say, you know, that's not my job or <laughs> something because they, right. I mean, you've taken on some big, I mean, I've been really impressed with some of the people you've seen and then the results are fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about that. Uh, the one that's top of mind is actually um, Hunter's story. Uh, we all love Hunter. Uh, he's a 16 year old um, young man from Oklahoma <clears throat> and he came in with um, a pretty severe dystonia. So with dystonia, it's a uh, movement disorder that really no one understands the etiology. Uh, there's theories, and I really think that it's multifactorial. Um, and we're not going to go into what the etiologic agents are for Hunter, but basically he came in with his head completely stuck to one side. His face was completely in spasm. Uh, he could barely speak. We, I, I personally really could not understand him very well. Um, he had, you know, changes, uh, spastic changes in his feet, uh, anyway, it was, you know, he was, he needed some help. And you know, of course he did the typical traditional route first and they didn't even know how to diagnose him, which was crazy to me. The first time I saw him, I said, yeah, this is dystonia. Um, but you know, nothing helps. They, they tried some dopamine agonist medication did not help, et cetera. Um, and here we are, uh, several months later, full range of motion of his head, uh, he's got major stability. Um, at times, you wouldn't even know that he ever had an issue. Um, that in and of itself is just mind-blowing because uh, there's no cure for dystonia. Um, and I'm not claiming to cure dystonia. What I'm claiming to do is understand the neurophysiolo neurophysiology of what's going on um, and set in motion certain treatment um, parameters that can help restore balance within the system and improve function. Um, and again, we took a a two-pronged approach. We had fuel and activation, um, and we outlined care appropriately. But the cool thing is, is that the, um, the story on my Instagram was, was early in his care. And so you got to see just like, you know, maybe six weeks into his care, uh, the dramatic changes that we had, we're going to do an update on him, um, here in the near future. And people are going to be blown away. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's an amazing story. Um, but I mean, we've had all kinds of things. Um, I've had genetic disorders that um, we've seen brain development. Actually, the picture on my wall back there is a, a kiddo's uh, uh, MRI with DTI tractography that actually shows brain development in a pontocerebellar atrophy case, uh, things that should not happen, right? That story is on uh, my Instagram as well. That's baby Lucas. Um, uh, I mean, my gosh, my, my head is just reeling with all the different potentials, but um, yeah, if you, and those, by the way, are on my personal or professional, uh, page. So it's at B Crawford DC, um, just because of FDA stuff, we can't always post everything on the, the neurosolution site. So, um, so just FYI. Yeah. You also talk a lot about the gut brain connection and how that works. And you, you actually uh, talk about what's causing a lot of the gut problems, like uh, lyphosates and things like that. Tell us how people can clear that out and maybe tell them a little bit about what's happening. Some people are still in the dark about 
about that and what might be causing their gut issues that it might not be anything they're doing wrong. It might just be some kind of foods they're eating or the foods that are in their environment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned a big contributor right there, glyphosate. Um, what I always tell people is this, um, if you want to give a leaky, if you want to give a rat a leaky gut in a research project, uh, you give them glyphosate. Uh, glyphosate is known to destroy the gut lining. It's known to cause these tight gap junctions to be porous and open. And what happens then is these larger molecules, these larger proteins that should not be leaking through, uh, they start to leak through. Um, and the immune system can get confused by that. And the immune system can start fighting this war in the blood um, against this foreign protein that shouldn't be in the blood. And that's circulating through your whole body. And so that can land anywhere. That can land in your thyroid, that can land in your brain, that can land in your skin, whatever. Now, if it does that, this inflammatory war is going on in this tissue. Um, and there's going to be some damage, some tissue damage. And at that point, the immune system can then recognize uh, amino acid sequences or protein structures of your own tissue and start tagging it. And now you have an autoimmune disease. So now every time you have, let's say that protein floating around was gluten, right? And you were attacking it in the blood uh, and then it landed in your thyroid. And then your immune system said, hey, that tissue looks a lot like the tissue I'm fighting here. I'm going to tag it. And every time I see gluten, I'm also going to initiate attack on the thyroid. Um, that actually is my issue. Uh, I've got Hashimoto's and if I adhere to a strict gluten-free and, um, you know, other food, you know, issue diet that I've outlined, um, my Hashimoto's remains relatively in check, uh, if I watch my stress levels, uh, which is a big component there, but you're right. Glyphosate is a problem. It's rather ubiquitous, uh, in our world. And what I'm seeing a lot of, cause I'm running a lot of food intolerance testing. I'm running environmental toxin testing is that almost everyone comes back with issues with glyphosate. And, you know, of course you're like, well, where did I get exposed to that? Well, maybe you live close to a farm or you're consuming uh, produce that has uh, glyphosate on it, or maybe you're just breathing the air because honestly, it's that ubiquitous. Um, and so we need to be taking strategies um, to help mitigate this. Now, one thing to note is that by using laser and light therapy, on your gut, you actually do start to heal the gut lining. You start to increase blood flow into the GI tract, start to really help um, balance the microbiome. Um, and you do start to see a healed gut just from that alone, right? And if people are like, look, I don't have an expensive laser, I can't do all this stuff, go outside, right? We, are, we already talked about as the sun comes up and the sun goes down, but I also like people to go outside midday uh, without their shirt, get some good sun exposure, um, you know, at that time of day, we're getting a lot of good far infrared and infrared light, um, that's going to penetrate, um, into the gut. It's very beneficial for your gut lining, et cetera. Um, so that's one thing to do. There's also, um, various supplements out there with humic and fulvic acid. Uh, these really help, uh, the gut lining as well. Um, I personally like the ion gut support product, uh, Dr. Zach Bush, uh, I think is the one that put that one together, but there's all kinds of different uh, strategies out there, but it's highly important. Um, I was actually just listening to, um, I'm taking a new course uh, this morning. So on my drive in, I was listening to how we can heal the gut with peptides. Um, and there's some really amazing peptides out there that are proving to be very beneficial when it comes to gut health and, and gut lining integrity and 
helping with uh, zonulin and there's actually zonulin agonists out there that uh, can help with that as well. So lots of things to consider uh, in the world of gut health, but you're right, extremely important. That's great. So a lot of people, when they look at a patient or a client coming into their facility, tell us a little bit about your mindset. Like when you, when you're reviewing someone, I mean, I, I think there must be some intuition process going on with you because there's so many different options you have. Maybe you can give some insight into, uh, you know, the mind of Brandon Crawford. So tell us a little <laughs> bit what, what happens when you start to like, uh, some people automatically shut down when they get a difficult case or they, they don't know what to do. What, what, what happens in your mind? I get excited. <laughs> uh, and, you know, really the exam starts as soon as you lay eyes on that person. Uh, so if they're able to walk, you know, how are they walking? Uh, what side are they tilted to? How is their head held? Uh, what direction do their eyes move? Um, all of these little things start to tell you things about uh, the patient um, when you introduce yourself, do they look you in the eye? Do they not? How's their handshake? Is it cold and clammy? Um, they sit down. How are they interacting with others in the room? Um, right. So I just described a large part of exam uh, details that they're not actually on the exam form. Right. But these are all things that need to be um, considered. And then from there, I'm looking at someone and I'm automatically staring them in the eyes. I'm looking at their pupil sizes uh, are there imbalances one side bigger than the other, uh, looking at facial tone, right? When they smile is one side lower, uh, is one eye, you know, the orbicularis oculi is it larger on one side, facial tone changes are huge as a direct reflection of the brainstem, um, their prosody of voice, how are they speaking? That can tell us a lot about the cerebellum that can tell us a lot about prefrontal and frontal, um, lobe, uh, capacity, um, et cetera, right? So these are just little bitty cues, uh, even as far as how do they smell, right? How's their hygiene? How's their breath? Could that, that alone could tell you if there's uh, dental infections, gut infections, this kind of stuff. Um, so those things are extremely important. Um, now, from an exam perspective, uh, muscle tone is huge, like I already described. So we always want to note muscle tone. Um, and what we need to understand is that we have this brainstem that's actually pretty well uh, organized. We have the medulla, we have the pons, we have the midbrain. Um, and each part of that uh, brainstem correlates with different primitive reflexes. Um, and the primitive reflexes, number one, they're diagnostic, uh, but they're also therapeutic. So as we start going through this primitive reflex um, exam, what we can know is that if we're checking the primitive reflexes in the hands, feet, mouth, and spine, those are going to be more correlative with the medulla. Um, the moreau is also more correlative with the medulla. And take note that muscle tone is actually very important too, because those reflexes in that part of the brainstem is more connected with concentric muscle tone. So contract, relax, contract, relax. And then in development, we then start to develop the pons. And in the pons, this is more connected to the ATNR, STNR, and TLR reflexes. Uh, from a muscle tone perspective, now we graduate from concentric tone into isometric tone. So now we need to be able to contract and hold. And this is our postural muscles and things like that. Uh, and then we move up into the midbrain. And this is our, our postural reactions, like our propping, our hopping, our head writing. Um, and this is connected to our eccentric muscle tone. So just that little bit of information alone, right? So we'll test uh, primitive reflexes. Then we'll look at uh, core stability. We'll look at concentric 
contractions. We'll look at isometric contractions. We'll look at eccentric contractions. That right there will give you a ton of information. Like if, if a doctor is listening to this right now and they can take what I just said and apply it clinically, you'll be a rock star. Uh, more of a rock star than you already are, because I'm sure whoever's listening to this is a, is a rock star already. But if you can really digest what I just said, apply it clinically, that will lead to massive, massive and extremely targeted specific um, types of therapies for, for your patients. I think what you just illustrated was you said just this little bit. <laughs> I mean, you're talking <laughs> about a, a couple, like a graduate course, right? But you have training, right? You teach people how to do this because one thing is it's one thing to hear it on a podcast. It's another thing to learn, implement, digest, and then work it into your your patterns as a physician, a clinician. So tell us a little bit about, I know we talked a little bit before and you said you have some upcoming trainings coming on. Where can they learn more about uh, what you're doing and how to get involved with you and learn these specialized tools. Absolutely. So there's various ways to get involved. Um, so Dr. Kyle Daigle and myself, we actually do uh, monthly calls with um, with a physician group, and that group is growing every month. Um, it actually started after we did a conference in Australia, and so we did a conference in Australia last year, um, and we had this, you know, a, a lot of people that wanted to continue to learn more. And so every month we get on and sometimes it's case management. Sometimes we're teaching new techniques, et cetera. Right. And so that's one way. Um, and the best way really to, to get more information would be just to email us. Uh, and the general email for that is going to be info at neuro solution.com. It's kind of a funny email because there's some interesting things here. You have info at neuro, N-E-U-R-O, and then there's a dash, and then it's solution, not plural, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, right? No S, uh, dot com. Um, so if you email that general email, uh, we can give you information about the coaching calls, uh, but then we also have conferences. Like I mentioned, our most recent one was in Australia. Uh, we're currently planning um, others right now. We have one that we want to launch in Dubai. Uh, that is going to be actually paralleled with the opening of our clinic there. Um, so that one, the date is to be determined, but it's look, we are very quickly approaching on a, a target date there. Uh, next year, we do plan to have conferences in the US. Uh, we also plan to have some in Europe. So those are uh, the ways that we're currently teaching. When we teach, we're very hands-on. Uh, and like you alluded to earlier, we we don't really hold back, you know. We we just want people to come and learn and and go save the world. That's really what we're trying to do. And and you're right, we're we're updating, um, you know, various laser methods and and stuff like that that we'll have for online training. So we are currently updating that as well. That's great. Now, what have I forgot to ask you that you think everyone needs to know about lasers, or what would you like to reinforce? Because we're coming to the end of the podcast, unfortunately. It seems like you just got rolling. We could probably keep talking, I know, for a couple of days here. But um, what do you think they need to know, maybe about, if it's nothing like that, but what about the future of this technology? Because where you're at today is very different from when I first met you, you know, over 10 years ago. So, Right. So you heard me start to talk about the beam physics. Um, and this is really, um, some people beat me up in the photobiomodulation world. And, and they say things like, you know, he uses too much power. And, um, you know, that's, that's not congruent with the research and all these things. And you know what, I, I just 
keep getting people better and uh, they keep coming back and, and we keep building new practices and I keep on having to hire doctors. And I assume that if I were hurting people that that wouldn't happen. But, um, <laughs> but the thing about it is no one in the industry, uh, especially from the clinical aspect, or at least no one that I've ever come across really understands the importance of beam physics. For example, if we have a a divergent beam, even just a, a small amount, right? So our current lasers, um, they do diverge. That beam diverges at a, about 25 degrees. And what that means, right? So if this were the laser, right, that I'm talking about, and I should have grabbed one, I didn't even think about it. And if I'm directly on the skin, um, shooting a 1000 milliwatt red laser, so that's 637 nanometers, 1000 milliwatts, right? The fluence or the irradiance, also called the power density, right? If that's not confusing enough, uh, the dose, right? At the skin is 142 joules per centimeter squared. Okay. Now, if I move that laser two inches out, it drops down to 20. And if people continue, well, I'm not going to say it that way. People continue to, to talk and talk and talk. Oh, he's using too much power, da, da, da. But they just they don't understand the beam physics. And so I've tried to teach it. And the, you know, from a clinical aspect, a lot of people don't listen. Um, and again, that's why we're getting these great results, is because we're saturating the area differently. Um, this isn't a pinpoint laser, this isn't a line. This this has a different fluence, a different power density. Um, and that's one thing that I want to point to is that as we continue <clears throat> right now in our pilot studies and uh, the things that we're proving uh, in my office, and now we're actually speaking with researchers to expand this uh, into various clinical trials, is that those beam physics matter so much. Um, one thing that I'm noticing and is in some literature right now is that you can actually leave an energetic imprint beyond the primary effects of that laser. Um, now that's a, a weird statement, it's a, it's a big statement, but basically is that light is entering our cells, there's a primary effect where, like I said, we're affecting the chromophores, et cetera, but then there's an energetic component that goes beyond that. Um, and what a lot of, well, no other lasers on the market are really taking this into consideration. Um, as we're looking into the future, what I'm really focused on and what I'm really excited about is what specific wavelengths, frequencies, beam physics, et cetera, uh, really begin to alter stem cell differentiation, migration, et cetera. I'm highly focused on that. I love the concept of stem cell therapy and what it does for people. Um, I think that there's a way to harness stem cells. We've seen it in the research already using just red and infrared light. Well, what if we begin to change those wavelengths? So we're looking at things like green, uh, we're looking at other wavelengths actually uh, in addition to that. But what we're finding is that there's huge possibility, there's huge potential whenever we start dialing it into what these cells really want, right? Because think of all these parameters like a language, right? So if I start talking to you in Arabic and you speak to me in Spanish, we're both speaking a language, but we're not understanding each other. This combination of things uh, that I just described is like dialing in to the specific language that a specific cell needs in order to be told what to do and how to do it. And that's effectively where laser therapy is going in the future. And that's where we're going. That's awesome. So if you want to stay up to date on what's new, 
and clinical world because I love it. I love seeing, I tell people, I would rather train with Rambo if I'm going to war than train with the guy who built all the equipment that told him theoretical war zones. You know, you're out there in the battlefield, you're willing to share it. I mean, it, some people look at it and go, wow, what is he using four lasers for? You know, <laughs> that's probably where it's coming from. They're going, wow, but I love it. I mean, I have two lasers now that because of some of the things I've seen, I, I'm not belly up to the bar to buy more than two. But, you know, th those are the things in, in Francisco, my science officer, who's really well known in photobiomodulation, loves what you do. And he's he's supported, you know, and loves the, the technology. So if you want to learn what's new and uh, what's the latest and greatest out there, please check out uh, Dr. Brandon Crawford. We'll have all the links. His, that email he talked about will be in the show notes. So if you need those, we'll get those to you. And, uh, you know, Dr. Crawford, thanks for taking time out, saving the world to uh, have this conversation with us. I know that, uh, like me, you have a passion to help people and you'll do whatever can be done ethically and morally to get them to that finish line, regardless of what other people are saying. You know, they, a lot of uh, people like yourself have a lot of arrows in your back, but eventually everybody follows you because results leave clues and people are looking at them and going, wow, I need to do what uh, Dr. Crawford's doing. And your name comes up all the time when I talk about lasers. So, uh, you know, there are maybe some naysayers out there, but there's a lot of supporters, you know, a lot of people really cheering you on because you're brave enough to, to put it out there. So thanks again for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. And same man, thanks for being a trailblazer. I appreciate everything you've done for the world. All right. So you've been listening to the BrainTap Business Journal podcast. Anyone you know that's in the field of uh, medicine that is either, either is using lasers or would like to know about lasers, or if you, they're your physician and they are not using them with you, share with them this podcast. Share with them light is the un, most underprescribed nutrient. And now with lasers, you can pinpoint that. Um, Dr. Crawford is one who first introduced me to lasers that actually have brainwave frequencies. You know, obviously that's what my passion is. So I, I bought in right away and I started using them and seeing some tremendous results. And we do use a product called the Wabi to measure brain speed and uh, neuroplasticity. And it's, it's pretty well validated. So we can, we can use that in research. So there are ways to show if you're a clinician out there, go, how do we know we're getting a result of neuroplasticity? You can measure that if you have the technology. Uh, but you can also see it in their eyes. I mean, they uh, in the way they walk and, you know, some people just use things, other technologies to do it. So please like, share and look forward to the next podcast where we're helping you to grow your practice and your own health through light, sound and vibration. So, again, thank you again, Dr. Crawford. We'll be in touch with you soon to to find out maybe in six months when you open up the overseas there, we can talk about what's going on in Dubai. That sounds very interesting. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.